You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, here we are in the city, and this city has been the center of finance for 300 years, and it needs to be the center of finance for 300 more years. We certainly would wish that that were the case. I'm David Merritt in the London studio, all alone on Halloween as Francine is in New York, out trick-or-treating, trying not to spook the markets. And this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories at the heart of the city of London. This week, we're going to bring you a bonus episode on this Halloween because Francine last week scored the very first sit-down television interview with Sias Venkatakrishnan, the chief executive officer of Barclays. He's been in the job a year. A huge amount has happened, of course, and he's one of the most important figures here in the city of London. And he talks about the turmoil of the previous few weeks, the crisis in the gilt market, and how to keep the city of London, the centre of finance, for another 300 years. Venkat, thank you so much for speaking to Bloomberg. So 12 months into the job, what have you learned about yourself and the bank? The last 12 months have been a wonderfully educational experience. Uh, about myself, I've learned uh, how much more I needed to learn about banking, including running a large organization, finding ways to encapsulate what our ambitions are and to conveying it to so many people and then visiting all, you know, this global footprint of the bank we have. Um, it's also, uh, you know, it's been a wonderful year in terms of the bank's operational performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've managed a bunch of crises and we've managed them relatively well, I think. Uh, but it's the start. We are in the middle of a tough economic environment. So in terms of strategy, the strategy hasn't changed that much from your predecessor. Is it about execution or is it a, a different lens that you're looking at it with? So I was part of the team that set up the strategy um, seven years ago. And our strategy then was to simplify our footprint, focus on building a global investment bank that was you know, very highly competitive, we are now number six. We're the biggest European investment bank. It was about doubling down on the UK, where we want to be a leading financial institution in sort of everything, uh, retail and wholesale. And it is about building up a very specialized consumer business in the US, which we've done. We like the footprint. The businesses are operating well. I think now it is the striving to excellence, which is to make sure that in all the businesses which we do, clients and customers know what we are about, We do the things that we do very well. We don't have hobbies. We are very focused. We execute well. And it's about excellence. But can you really compete with the U.S. bank in terms of of having an investment bank? Can Europe have have that leverage, or are you always going to be one step below? So we are competing. Uh, We are number six. 
Uh, we've been gaining market share and share revenue share in our markets business uh, for many years. And, uh, you know, we are under no illusion that we're not going to catapult, nor do we want to catapult to number three or number two. Uh, but we can be very good at what we do. Um, and if we are good, people will transact with us and work with us. And you can make a very good living at the size we are. So, I mean, you lived through the financial crisis. Yes. And every two weeks, somebody says, this is going to be worse than the financial crisis. This is worse than the 70s. What kind of crisis are we going to see, and what does it mean for the banks? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I don't think, as far as the banking system goes, this will be worse than the financial crisis. Uh, I think banks are much better capitalized, but much better risk managed, and much more aware of the importance of doing that than they were back then. Um, and, and the regulators are also much more uh, intimately involved and engaged with the banks in, in understanding bank exposures. So I think it's not going to be like that. Um, I think from our point of view, and speaking, speaking for Barclays, uh, what we have to worry about is the impact on consumers. We are starting at a point where people are, uh, have strong balance sheets and, and employment is very high. So these are very good initial conditions. But squeezes are coming in different ways. In the UK, uh, to a greater degree than the US, you've got the energy price squeeze. Uh, and also in the UK, to a greater degree than in the US, you've got a squeeze coming from higher interest rates and mortgage prices and rents. Um, because it's more of a variable rate market. It's, a, it's a more of a fixed market than it used to be, but it's more variable than the US is, which has a 15 or 30 year fixed market. But you're not seeing that, right, in consumer spending right now. You're not seeing it in, in, in mortgages either. Is there worry that we're complacent and then at some point next year, early next year, it, it hits us hard? Not that we are complacent, but even though we've started off in a good condition, there are factors that are eroding that strength of the consumer balance sheet. Now, people are adjusting. What we see, what Barclays sees in the behavior of our customers is first of all a very, very small fraction. I mean, 1% of our people, uh, borrowers, are in any form of financial difficulty. It's tiny. Um, second is that we see people tightening their belts. Mm -hmm. They are being more prudent in their spending. They are uh, reducing non-essential spending in various forms. And all that's good. That's people managing it. Um, and we have not seen sort of noticeable signs of stress in terms of defaults, as I said. However, uh, I think we only know that these pressures could build, and so you've got to be cautious. If they do build, what will happen? What's best case scenario and what's worst case scenario? Could, could you see you know, 20% of zombie companies in the UK, or is that too pessimistic? I think that's pessimistic. I think, uh, I think the UK economy has had a lot of support during COVID, and obviously there are, you know, the UK has been growing more slowly than it should. Uh, but the financial services industry, which is a large part of the UK, is very competitive. But it's not the only one. Health sciences, even technology and parts of technology, fintech, are very, very bright stars in the UK. So the UK has a lot going for it, and I don't think you will see that kind of environment. I think what, what, what I'm hoping you see is what people will call a soft landing and a shallow recession, helped by the initial conditions. Uh, and, and so what you might see is an increase in, in unemployment, you might see some credit weakness among, among customers, but it won't be so bad that you see distress in society. However, it has to be managed carefully, and it has to be managed aggressively with a balancing of the budget, and that's what the Prime Minister has said in the last couple of days. Are you expecting a housing crash? I doubt it. 
talk to me a little bit about the last six weeks. So you, you mentioned the guilt. I mean, was there a moment where you were in the office thinking, like, I, you know, as Barclays, you're one of, of course, the players in selling and buying guilds with the margin calls coming in and saying, like, I don't know what happens in the next two hours. So uh, first of all, I think that uh, I think the, 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 the volatility was managed extremely well by the very effective, targeted, and time-bound actions of the Bank of England. So I think buying gilts, buying inflation-linked gilts, and then the repo facility that they put in working with the banking system uh, all helped ease the pressure in the crisis. And, you know, you've got 10-year gilt yields now back below where they were um, at the the day of the mini-budget on the 23rd of September. As for us, I mean, we are large in the the gilts market. Um, What was important for us, as we saw it, was this was not a solvency issue at all for the pension system. It was a liquidity issue. And it was a liquidity issue because what was a very important feature of the UK pension system, which, by the way, I think is a good feature of the pension system, which is a matching of assets and liabilities, which employed leverage, created a liquidity problem. So a liquidity problem had to be managed. And the liquidity problem was managed by the government intervention or the Mm -hmm. Bank of England intervention, the repo facility, which allows people to borrow against assets rather than sell them, and by slowly releasing the pressure. And, you know, so far, so good. Do do you think that that will change, actually, regulations surrounding pensions in the UK? So uh, I don't know the answer, but I think what is important is that the UK pension system in aggregate is very well funded. It's about 125, 130% funded ratio, which is extraordinarily good, which gives it a good starting point from which to manage to a less leveraged future. Where do you see the City of London being in, in four or five years? I, I mean, that's maybe too long a time frame. Should I say 12 months? Well, it's, it's both too long and too short. You know, here we are in the city, and this city has been the center of finance for 300 years, and it needs to be the center of finance for 300 more years. We certainly would wish that that were the case. Um, and it is the center of finance because of an excellent regulatory system, uh, transparent, fair, mm-hmm. It is there because of great availability of talent um, and infrastructure, soft financial infrastructure and hard financial infrastructure. Um, And a part of that is also a stable, predictable taxation regime. So we hope that all those elements and ingredients remain and continue to allow uh, the city to flourish. And, you know, the prime minister spoke about investing in education in Britain. And if you think about what drives the financial sector, I mean, you meet many of them. Uh, it's about the wonderfully trained people in the UK and the wonderfully trained people outside who are able but, to come and work in the UK. I mean, the UK has lost something. Or the city of London has lost business to other parts of the world in terms of you know, financial capitals. Yes. What do you need from the government today f- for that to be reversed? Well, some of it is what others do, right? So once Brexit happened um, and you could not passport financial services to London, all the major banks had to set up trading wow. enterprises in Europe. So that is irreversible, let's say, for the time being. I think other than that, uh, what we need is a continuation of what London has provided. You know, education, infrastructure, people, a great regulatory regime, and, uh, and a stable and predictable you know, fiscal regime. Uh, Venka, until not too long ago, Barclays had an sh- activist shareholder on, on its back. Do you, th- do you think about that? You always have to think about it. Uh, I don't think about it from the point of view of our business mix. I do think we have a good business mix. 
And that activist shareholder came because he thought we should sell our investment bank. He could not have been more wrong. I repeat it, he could not have been more wrong. The investment bank has been what has kept Barclays flourishing and quite apart from many of our competitors uh, in the fact that you know we performed extremely well during COVID. We are able to have a more diversified business model. Um, but I think for many banks like us where our valuations are low, you know, you've always got to be worried about what is driving bank valuations. What do you think will drive bank valuations? Is Europe overbanked? Um, well, so Europe is, again, separate Europe from the UK. Okay. I don't think the UK is overbanked. Uh, I think part of what drives bank valuations, especially in Europe versus the US, is there is some worry about business model. Mm -hmm. I think in our case, we've got the right business model. And what will drive our valuation is solid performance, excellent performance, as I said. Repeated, excellent performance. I think in Europe, uh, banking is still fairly nationalized. Not nationalized and state-owned, but by country. And I think... um, I think we have to see at some point the experiment of one large European bank crossing borders in a meaningful way, and then we'll know. When, when do you think that will ha- Do you think that will happen, or is it just a dream? We've been talking about it, I feel like, for two decades. Yeah, I mean, it's a question more for the European bank CEOs. Um, I think it should happen. I think, I think the test case should happen, and now is a good time. You know, when you go through a period like this, there will be some banks which will benefit from consolidation and ownership by a larger entity. Um, And I hope I see it happen, uh, and it'll be good for Europe. Venkat, thank you so much. Francine, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We will be back later on this week with another episode of In the City. And if you want to watch that interview in full, check it out on Bloomberg.com or, of course, your Bloomberg Terminal. This episode was produced by Samasadi, and special thanks to C.S. Venkatakrishnan. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.